When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is episode three of Dear Black Girl, and I have a special guest with me today. Dear Black Girl, meet Jamie. Jamay. Jamay. Sorry. Why are you letting me call you Jamie the first Girl, time? Girl, I didn't even hear. You know what? <laughs> it's literally been my whole life at this point now. I'm just like, whenever people, I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay, I'm guys, Jamay. Because <laughs> that's what the accent's for. You know, I legit thought the accent was just because there was no I there. <laughs> I legit thought it was because of that. No, it's okay. I, <laughs> if I literally, if I had a nickel or a, uh, even a quarter for every time I've heard Jamie James, somehow I, 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 no I, I become, a, I know somehow I become a guy. My Uber drivers drive off all the time because they're looking for a man and they see me. But um, I can understand James. Jame, Jamie, Jaime, um, John. I don't know. Just oh, like Spanish. Yeah, J? yeah. Like I get a, I get a lot of nuances on my names at this point. I was just like, okay, well, guys, it's Jame. <laughs> it's Jame. <laughs> so you know, it's Jame. Not Jamie. Not James. Not Jame. Or Hamain. Ha- <laughs> Jame. <laughs> Thank you for coming with us today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. Definitely. So um, I guess I am just a bodacious blonde. Anyone who meets me, the first thing they automatically see is the blonde this, hair. Yeah, the blonde hair. Um, a lot of people don't know I've been blonde since the eleventh grade. Really? Yeah. How do you I, keep that up? So I had I had a bomb stylist. Oh, first of all, shout outs. I'm a born and raised DC girl. Me so. too! I saw this 202 area code and yes. I was hyped. But um, yeah, Washington D.C., the metropolitan area is my is my home and is my first love. Um, and I had this bomb stylist who used to hook my hair up so good, like in high school. But my mom uh, always would only let me get like a blue black rinse. You know, when mine you were... would get the um, like the cherry. The Ooh, cherry yeah, so I would. I couldn't even. I didn't even think reds would look good on me. I love deep reds on other people. But one day I was in the um, the seat and she was like, "You should go blonde." And I was like, "What?" Mind <laughs> you, I'm like in the tenth grade, and I'm like, "This is." And I went home and I talked to my mom about it, and she was like, Mm-mm, "That's too grown. Like you can wait." <laughs> and I think I waited one day. So she, when she was out of town, she was on on travel for work, oh. and I went in, and my stylist was like, "Your mom said that you could, <laughs> that you can get your hair." I was like, "Yeah!" Like she, we talked about it and everything. <laughs> and the only thing I think that saved me was that she did it, and it was so bomb that. My mom really honestly just couldn't even do it. She was mad, but it was like, okay, cool. And ever since then, I have had different phases of blonde hair. I've had it with permed hair i've had it with uh with natural i was buzz cut like an amber rose buzz cut all throughout my years oh in that's college. how i am right now yeah it's like cold outside. it is cold outside <laughs> and then my most recent has been my transition into my uh my locks and so i'm i plan to be blonde till the day i die okay uh yeah so 
Yeah, so like, I guess I've already given some some backdrops of something. Um, yeah, so I uh, went to Howard. I was an English classics double major, so studied Greek mythology, fell in love with writing, reading, oh, um, everything that has to do with just reporting and storytelling. And when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to get into journalism, and I really decided um, – Fashion journalism was where I really had a passion for. I used to read Robin Gavon, who is um, one of the fashion editors at the Washington Post, and such an instrumental black woman in the fashion industry. I used to just read her work all the time and was like, this is what I want to do. But when I was putting myself out there in my resume, I was getting a lot of negative feedback. And I remember this one editor in particular wrote back saying that they really liked my style of work, but they already had a black girl on staff. Pretty much. So they, they were only allowed to have, like, one token black person at each corporation? Pretty, in pretty much. It, it introduced me to tokenism in the fashion industry and how um, a lot of people have this idea that if you have this one person of color, now they are able to talk for, for everybody. And so I started the Blonde Misfit, which is now... Um, I guess, like, my my second name. <laughs> um, but I started that really as a site for me to have writing clips, but also to provide social commentary and bring people on this journey of this one black girl who wants to create a name for herself but is also, in the way, kind of growing up and having to see, like, what life really is about. And so that's kind of where my journey has started. I mean, now I live in New York. I've had the pleasure of working with some of the biggest names in media. I was at InStyle. I've worked at Yahoo. Um, and now I also get to have this wonderful creation of the Blonde Misfit under me and advocating for beautiful black girls. And get to be <laughs> brand ambassadors for different companies. I saw that on your IG. Yes. Like Amazon and... Yeah, I recently became a, um, an, a part of um, Amazon's influencer program. Um, I also am a part of Cake, which is a vegan, black-owned, black woman-owned um, makeup brand. And also working on some other projects that I can't put out there just <laughs> yet. But it is it, it has been really fun. It's been really amazing to have brands not only um, see your worth and your investment as far as like you being able to have engagement with your audience, but also... Really believing in the mission. Um, I have always made it a point to say that I do not want to partner with people who don't um, are not in alignment with the things that I'm in alignment with. And thankfully, because I've put that out into the universe, I really get that back a lot with the brands that I get to work with. So how did you go from like, I know you said you create the Blonde Misfit because you were trying to find like your own space within fashion. So how did that help you get your shot at installing Yahoo? Yeah, so pretty much when I started The Blonde Misfit, um, you know, I was just kind of making random posts, like no no different than a lot of your other, like just stereotypical writers and bloggers. But we really kind of began to gain traction the more people started to see like some of the inner workings of the industry. I was someone, I've always been a really scrappy person, someone who was very much so, if you're not going to give me a seat at the table, I'm going to build my own and mine's going to be right next to yours and we can, you know, kiki <laughs> it up, but mine's going to be there too. And and it really kind of just became a place where people were looking and they wanted to see what does it look like when you're getting backstage access? What does it look like when you're interviewing your first celebrity? What does it look like when you're trying to navigate the the metro system in New York because you have shows to go to and you've never been there before? Um, it was small things like that that really allowed people to build me with this authenticity brand and really kind of say, like, if 
I can go to other places. I can look at other bloggers. But I do know that when I come here, there's going to be a very specific place that's going to advocate for me and making sure that I'm represented as a woman of color. When you build a really strong body of work and you're able to articulate that, not just from the perspective of um, this is what I'm passionate about, but also having numbers behind it, also having um, stats and real information, studying, being a student of your craft. Um, that's when larger brands want to work with you. With InStyle, it was one of those things where it just happened organically. Um, of course, a lot of people, when they think about InStyle and then think about women of color, you think of Kalana Barfield-Brown, who has been a, an amazing pioneer for women and also chocolate girls um, in the beauty and fashion industry. And then with Yahoo, Yahoo came the same way. Dana Oliver, who's the beauty director over there, really took me under her wing and really allowed me to kind of blossom. And so if you see there's sort of this reoccurring theme of just like black women who are just kind of paving the way and just standing in your own essence. And when you do that, the opportunities just sort of, you know, naturally come. Let's get into your first song, which was actually song number five. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. So my first song was Part-Time Mother by um, Tupac, Mm -hmm. um, who I am still believing is alive and well somewhere (laughs) out there. Um, I really chose that song as sort of the beginning stages of my life because that song, um, even though it is talking about um, how children become byproducts of their parents or lack of parenting, it is symbolic to me of this larger picture of becoming a byproduct of your environment and how from a young age I knew I did not want to be a byproduct of my environment. Living in the city, living in a place where there's a lot of access to a lot of things and being a woman of color who grew up with a very intimate exposure to certain things like drugs, alcohol, and abuse. I knew for a fact that a lot of people were counting me out to be a statistic earlier on than I even wanted to anticipate. Before I even knew who I was, I was already being told who I was going to be. And so that song is sort of like the encompassing arch of like the beginning part of my life because it's just one of those things of how you really don't have to become who people think you're going to be. You do possess this power to be able to re-change things. And even if you didn't have, um, you know, a strong family life or that parent in your life who was there or have the best access to resources or schools or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you may have lacked, um, there's always opportunity to bounce back and there's always opportunity to grow and to move forward. You know the crazy thing about that? Because, like, I've actually seen, like, the reverse effect where there are kids that have opportunities. They grew up in a good family household, but they still decide to go down Mm -hmm. that downward path. And this is, like, how and where did that sway? Yeah. It's also—it's always a hard thing, you know, because you can have twins and they grow up and have the same— more or less the same experience and then one goes one way and another goes another and I and I really do believe that there is a a fine line between nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. I do think that we all are going to kind of carve out our own path and that um your life experiences it depends on how you want to play your hand but um there's this really I I think I'm gonna mess it up honestly (laughs) but there's this quote that I I heard years ago and I've always tried to live by it that um the best players of the game (laughs) play their hand like it's the best hand every time and so for me that always switched my mindset where instead of coming from a place of lack or saying I don't I don't have I don't have I don't have 
taking what it is that I do have and flipping it and always making it to work for my, you know, work in my, work in my advantage. I don't look at certain things that I've been through in life or certain things that I even go through now as an adult as disadvantages. It's made me scrappy. It's made me resilient. It's made me not take no for an answer. It's made me bold. It's made me assertive. Um, and it's made me grind like no other. When you don't have anything, you have nothing to lose. And that's why you're going to work hard because you don't have anything to lose. You know what it's like to not have anything. And so I always, um, whenever I talk to God about it, I'm, I'm thankful now for the life that I've lived. And um, I always... I always put that out there for that prayer for other people that they find peace with, you know, the things that happen in life because it's all for a reason. But a lot of people, I know it's, it's hard for them to find that that peace. It is. It's a, it's a journey. <laughs> it is. It is. Honestly, I didn't start finding certain peace with things until thing, other things started happening in my life that then showed me why I had to go through certain things that I did. When, when you're talking, when I talk to, like, my mentees now, and a lot of them— um, our children who have grown up in either foster care systems or single parent households, I have, you know, mentees as young as 12 and 13 who have been in prostitution rings and who have had multiple abortions or miscarriages. And it's like knowing, knowing to a degree how to relate to that experience allows for there to be an authentic connection um, where they don't then have to go through certain things that I have to, I had to go through, you know, or lessons that I had to learn. They don't have to because now they have a big sister or someone who's been through it, you know what I mean, who can talk to them about certain things. You know, when you talk about finances, the blonde misfit. I've had a lot of, you know, black girls who have reached out and been like, I got, I scored my first internship and I'm thankful <laughs> because I followed your template on that you did on a post that told me like how to write out this cover letter. You know, it's it doesn't always have to be something as, you know, morbid like drugs and alcohol and stuff like that it can be that simple it's just lessons it's lessons in life and um i really don't believe any of our lives are for our own i think that that can kind of close us off to think like i'm just here for my own experience but when you open up your mind to think how does my experience affect others and how can i use my experience to positively help others and give back to the world i think that's when you peace kind of starts coming in a little bit better because then you realize that it all works out for the better and you know when you when you really do have peace you just live so much so much better <laughs> you know what better you know what i mean it's just it's a beautiful thing but but definitely i do not um i don't negate that it it does take time it definitely does song number 4 ooh yeah um Next song is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Anyone who knows this song knows that it is just a... Am I allowed to curse? It's, yes, okay, you are. It's just, like, <laughs> it's just the shit show of a song, and it is absolutely beautiful. I When I think of artwork, I think of this song um, in musical in musical tones. Um, I am a classical pianist. I was a singer for many years. I was I was on Broadway, so I have a very very intimate connection with uh, with the musical theater world. And this song is just it's so representative of my life from like middle school up until like college, when I was really trying to learn who I was, and I was starting to go through those growing pains because when you're a creative and um, especially when you're surrounded by people who are not creatives, you you start, it's like 
it's like feeling things and it's like, what on earth am I feeling? And then it's like, you don't know how, who to talk to or who to confide in because no one else is are feeling these things. I had a lot of friends who were into STEM and wanted to go into like the sciences and the math and here is this random black girl who's singing down the hallway who, you know, <laughs> whose um, fashion inspirations are people like Debbie Allen and I'm going to the thrift stores and buying these grandiose outfits for no reason. Um, but that song is just so beautiful because it you don't even know why it's beauty. It just makes you feel so many things. And I think that that was that time in my life where, you know, one day I'm red, one day I'm blue, one day I'm hot, one day I'm cold. Um it was a strange time, I will say, because, like I said, growing pains are never comfortable. Um, but looking back on it now, it w- it was a beautiful time. I really kind of wish sometimes I could have gone, I could go back and just like watch myself like a fly <laughs> on the wall. Um, yeah. So you were on Broadway. Yeah. Oh, you gotta talk about this experience. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, up until I came, I ca- I came to college. I was. Uh, I I was going to pursue musical theater. Okay. I fell in love with the theater from the like from the sixth grade on. My first show was in Annie Aww. and I was Miss Hannigan. And ever since then I just fell in love with the like I said earlier, the art of storytelling, but through music. Um I've had the opportunity to perform with street theaters. I've gone and we were in in the Heights on Broadway. Um, My big dream was always to play Nala in Lion King. Um, It's still possibly a a big thing of mine. So I, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that I've never hung the dream up. I just have changed um, trajectories. Um, But I don't think that. I don't think that you ever have to just limit yourself to so one like thing. So, like, one thing, you can do everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Forever. Um, I think it's, uh, no. Yeah, no. Like, if you look at people like Beyonce, if you look at people like Oprah, they have literally anything their heart has ever wanted, they have pursued. And you may not be able to pursue everything at one time, but if you work every day and you do what you do and you do what you do well, it'll set yourself up for an opportunity so that you can do other things later. I will say like, okay, I had one musical experience in high school. We did West Side Story. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it was such an experience because like I learned how to swing dance and it was different. It's a great musical. It was like, it was fun, but it was just, I don't know. Because at the same time, I was doing sports, so it was, like, a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah, no. Um, when, no. When I was doing musical theater, like, that that was it. Like, like that's a lot in itself because it's, like, practice every day. It was like, well, today mm-hmm. I also have, like, track practice and basketball practice. And then, like, I was also um, coming to McNamara. Mm-hmm. And from the time I went there to now, it be, somehow became a Catholic fine arts school. <laughs> So then, like, uh, so like, I was also in dance, and I was getting that was actually one of my actual classes that I had grades in a dance class. Yeah, so it's like I had recitals and then this and the other, and I was like, yo, this is a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. I was working at um at Signature Theater in um Arlington, and that was I was doing like a whole production with them outside of school, and so I'm going to I'm going to school in high school, and then I'm getting out, and then I'm going to practice after school rehearsals, right for our school musical, and then also our um, the musical or the production at another professional theater, and I remember our director um, Marsha Gardner, um, who is no longer with us. She passed a couple of years ago from cancer. She was so fundamental to my growth, but she taught me things in the theater that. 
um, I apply now. And I remember the fir- our first day, she would always sit there and, and you would have to fill out a schedule. Mm-hmm. And the schedule would consist over the next six, six to eight weeks or however long we would be in rehearsals for. And she would say after that day when you submitted your schedule in that if you missed rehearsals and it was not already on there, you only had one time to do it. And after that, you got kicked out. Oh, and that's wow. and that's when I knew that the caliber was set high. I think it's wonderful when people set high standards for you because it forces you to have to elevate your standards yourself. You know, as a high schooler, you're like, well, you know, maybe one day I want to, <laughs> you know, I want to hang out with my friends, or maybe I'm just pulling around doing yeah. all these different stuff. Yeah, no. And there were times where I was sick and I wouldn't go to school, but I promise you, I was at rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing! Like, I don't. I don't think we had anything like that. But then again, like, I was always at school, so it was hard for me to miss out on things. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would have had to just, like, blatantly be like, I'm not going. And, like, that's impossible because the teacher would walk by and see me like, why are you not in practice? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No, so, no, no. all right, song number three. Okay, song number three is Take Me to the King by Tamla Mann. Um, first of all, it is one of my favorite gospel songs ever. It is just, it is a song that, if I am on the train in New York and I've had a stressful day, if it is, it is a song that if I'm having tension with family or friends, it is a song that if I just feel anxious, I just play it and it puts me back into this really, this state of um, of gratitude. It puts me back in this state of just peace. It is such a beautiful song and it's so... Um, it's so metaphoric of the time in my life when I knew that there was a purpose that was greater than me, but I just didn't know how to tap into it. Um, I always tell people that the I, I think one of the most painful things a person can ever experience is actually meeting their purpose and then living every day after that and not living in it. Um, and that was something that I had been doing because I had gone to South by Southwest and I had spoken on a panel about being a woman of color, creating spaces in the digital space for, for other women of color and coming back to a job that I did not like doing work that I did not like, that I did not feel fulfilled in. And I was like, I can't do this. This is, this is literally so draining and toxic and, so I used to just have talks after talks after talks with God. I was just like, I just need, I need, I need something. I need something because I don't have, I don't have anything else to do. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do on this earth, but this thing that you have planted in my spirit. And this song is just one of those things of like, you just coming and stripping before, before your truth and really just kind of saying, I don't have, I'm, I'm not Jamee, the girl with X amount of followers or the girl with this much money in the bank or the girl who has this or the girl who has that. I'm just here naked, ready to just be a servant onto the people as, as I'm supposed to be. And, um, it's a song that like I chose for a very specific time in my life when my health was gone and I had just moved to New York. I didn't have any family or friends or money in the bank or anything else. I just had a dream. Um, but the song is something that I think constantly kind of resurfaces back in my life. And I think that that's good because um, it reminds me that no matter where I get, in my journey, I'm always I always need to kind of come back and just kind of for me at least just strip before God, um, remove all the things that you think are important but they're really not, um, and just kind of refine your center back 
back through it all, all the time. So, okay, when did you realize what your purpose was? Like, what, how did you realize it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think I kind of started to see, like, little small pieces of it when the Blonde Misfit really kind of started to gain traction. Um, For me, it always has been a thing of seeing the good that your work does. And um, there's passion, there's, what is it? Um, There's purpose, there's passion, and there's profit. And your ideal situation is that the three can live cohesively. Um, A lot of people just work on their passions, but my passion is writing. My passion is, uh, you know, reading. My passion is shopping, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is my purpose. Mm -hmm. My purpose is advocating for the underdog. And that is why, as I was talking about earlier, God puts you through certain things and why I'm able to look at the journey that I've gone through my life and say, and and be at peace with it. Because if I had never known what it was to be the underdog, how could I champion for other underdogs? You know what I mean? It would be inauthentic. Um, When I started to see the work that the Blonde Misfit was doing, when I started to see how it was really elevating and uplifting other women and how people were then starting to turn to me to be on speaking engagements and panels and doing and standing behind their brands, that's when I started to see the bigger picture of being this woman of color who does not necessarily fit the stereotypical mold of what you might see a lot of fashion influencers. You know, I think we still have a long ways to go as far as like the diversity of that and being Afro-Latina is also a, another demographic within itself. Um, but advocating so that everybody, every single day when you wake up, you feel beautiful in the skin that you are in. And every single time I do a project, every single time that I work with a new brand or a company, it re-fulfills that purpose um, and it re-fulfills that feeling. I think you know when you've met your purpose because it is a feeling like, I think, the first time you fall in love. And it's not a love that you have to fear will leave you or have you questioning things. You feel the fullness of it. Um and that's the best way I can describe it. It's a hard feeling to explain. It's one of those things I think you have to just feel it. Um, because when you feel it, you'll you'll know that that is that feeling. That, that's what you're destined to do. Yeah, you'll know that feeling. All right, diving into like, oh, well, going back into like being like the only black person in the place, especially in fashion. Fashion like always fascinated me. Like my very first like media gig ever, it was an internship. It was at Interview Magazine. Ooh. But I was the only black person. (laughs) And I was an intern. Like, no, there might have been one other black woman that works there, and she worked in a fashion closet. But other than that, it was just me and her. And I was an intern. And it was just, like, amazing to me. I was like, because I thought in my head, like, I know so many black girls Mm -hmm. that love fashion, especially at my school, like, put on full-fledged fashion show, this and the other. But, like, I don't really see them. Yeah. Like in this space right here. Yeah, no, it's um, it's access to power. It's access to resources. Um, I have seen it firsthand that I remember um, maybe about a year and a half ago, I was looking at places and I had gotten offered a position at Vogue and it would have looked amazing on paper, but it paid $9 an hour. And Ooh. yes, and I thought to myself, you know, at some point you, you can't be cocky with it. I do believe that you have to pay your dues. But it's at this point, 
But I, right at this point, um, rent needs to be paid. I had gotten my bachelor's and I had already started working with some, you know, some of these bigger brands. Spoken at South by Southwest. I had worked with Google. We were at InStyle. Like, I have I have the juncture behind the name at this point, and it was like, okay, I can't do this. But it's one of those things that you think about. Um, who can't afford to do that? The kids who come from money or who have parents who can invest in them. And, you know, when you think about that, when you break it down socioeconomically, that is not a lot of, you know, people Black of people, color. Yeah. And um, that just sort of unfortunately uh, disadvantages us from getting in the door. And a lot of these places have it where the, the intern is the first person you look at when you think about inward promotion. They're going to look at the kid who's been interning at different places or the kid who interned during college. I couldn't intern in New York in college because where was I going to stay? So it was it, it always was a thing of like access to resources and access to money. Um, and it's unfortunate because I also know so many talented people who deserve to have their voices heard or deserve to be in the space and who I know would really work hard but can't afford to take some of those some of those choices and those decisions and it's sad because everyone's always like well if you really want it you'll make it work and I I have I've I have been the person to work 80 hours a week to make it work and let me just say that although I I can look at it now and say you know I'm thankful for where I am now a lot of things suffered because of that my health deteriorated friendships died out I was a recluse because all I was doing was working and it's like at the end of the day when you look back it's like what do you have to show for all that? Yeah, like, what have you truly gained from I'm here now, but, like, yeah, what I have lost you truly so gained? much. Yeah, so now I just sort of take this approach that you um, you do your own thing. My friends who are designers, I'm like, well, start an online portfolio. I have friends who are stylists, and I'm like, okay, well, help me on this shoot and take photos and start an Instagram. I have friends who are photographers. I'm like, so why don't you have something digitally on your website? Like, um, we're we're in a place now where social media has so much currency and the digital space has so much currency. Create your own. Create your own. And if it's really that good and if it's that strong, it will get the attention of people who it needs to get the attention of. And you can get yourself in the door. Um, I really do stand behind that. And talk about moving to New York by yourself. No job, no friends, no family. Like, the only reason I ended up here was because of college. Because I went to college here and I just oh, never yeah. left. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the idea, because, like, I know, I know one of the things I want to do is to eventually move to, like, the West Coast. But we just kind of so far away. Mm-hmm. I need to have, like, something. <laughs> like, a job or something. I need some type of safety net because it's so far from my family. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, it's crazy. Um, I mean, that that kind of goes back to the whole idea of purpose. And when I was really starting to see the, the traction that I was gaining, um, I knew that I was only going to hit a certain cap of what I wanted in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, I love I love my city so much, but it, it's not necessarily known as a fashion hub um, in the same way of like New York, Atlanta, um, Los Angeles. And so... I, I came home one day and I was just like, I'm I'm moving to New York. And my mom was like, What? <laughs> like, okay. So do you have any do you have a you know, your job yet? I was like, Nope. And she's like, Do you have anywhere to stay? I was like, Nope. She's like, So when are you gonna leave? And I was like, I'm put my two weeks in the end of this week. So we're gonna figure it out. Oh, and God. within two weeks I had 
put in my two weeks at the place that I was working at. Um, a friend of mine had um, her grandmother had a small space for for me, and I went and lived up there in the Bronx. And uh, I, I didn't even have we didn't even have it to, to be able to get like a, a U-Haul or anything. My uh, my boyfriend just packed up whatever he could in his in his car and. That was what I took with me to New York, and um, I thugged. I really, I really thugged it out. Like every day, getting up from and going from the Bronx into the city, taking my clothes with me and changing in a Starbucks, you know, into like my my nicer clothing because it was at, it was the summertime at the time, so it was hot. Um, and and going, you know, and dropping off my resume at media brands that I wanted to work with or places that I wanted to partner with, um, going to networking events and forcing myself to just speak to people. Because despite what a lot of people think, I actually can be more introverted, especially when it comes to networking events. I get um, I'm like really shy. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I, and it's, it's a bad thing, too, because I'm trying to get out of that, especially like when it comes to things like me speaking on panels or, um, you know, I want to be able to interact with people people afterward but I'm just like oh my gosh it's so many people (laughs) but pushing myself out there and really just kind of just just pushing like that's the only word I can think of to to just just describe that time in my life and um obviously it's paid off I've I've lived here now for a year and a half which is absolutely crazy to say because I remember moving here like it was just yesterday um and of course now I have you know wonderful friends who work in and out of the industry um Fam, you know, I still don't have really family here, but um, th- those fa- those friends are now family. So, yeah. <laughs> have you ever thought about moving to, like, I don't know, other countries like Paris and Milan and the other fashion capitals within I the think, world? I think it would be fun to go over there for, like, a short period of time. Um, I have always kind of given this thought about being, like, an ex- expat and, like, wondering, like, <laughs> if, if I were to do it, where would I go? Um, there is an intrigue to me about going like to those other countries and sort of seeing what like it looks like, what black culture is over there as well. Um, but for now, at least I do know that I kind of want to stay here. I, I, I do frequently go back home to the Dominican and Haiti and I get to do a lot of great work down there with, um, our nonprofit. And so, uh, I, I I have no I have no desire yet to leave America, <laughs> but I don't know, girl, because the way certain things are happening politically over here, <laughs> it's starting to make me question. I'm like, well, maybe it's time for me to find my African prince and <laughs> and. Uh, Wait, did you see that story about how the girl found a prince at park? Yes, I was like, the yeah, like, what in the world? I was I was happy for her, but at the same time, I'm like, man, I ain't never found no prince at I no go to club. Park. Yeah, like, park love, I ain't found nobody. Right. I'm like, man, like, look. Yeah, people gotta shoot their shot. 2018. <laughs> if you if you think he is a prince, girl, go go for it. You never know. You never know at this point. You never know. <laughs> so talk about your the nonprofit that you just mentioned, DR in Haiti. Yeah. So um, I work with CCH Community Coalition of Haiti. It is a wonderful, wonderful nonprofit that's based out of Virginia. When I say Vienna, Virginia, and and they are just so heavily focused on just different aspects of restoration, specifically within Haiti. Um, it comes from education. It also comes through medical medical work, volunteerism. Um, it's absolutely awesome. And I get to go down there and I get to work with, like, other people who have really kind of given their time um, 
volunteers who are who are literally just giving of their time, like licensed medical professionals who go down there and they work in our clinics, um, who work with our teachers in the education system, who work to allow people to have job opportunities. And it's just so beautiful to see people, to see good people still, you know, because I think nowadays, especially with the media focus, um, you get so bombarded by negativity that uh, it's always great to just kind of step back and see that there are still good people in this world who are still doing great things. And whenever I go, um, especially when I go out of the this out of the country, it always it always makes me put back into perspective just how much we take advantage, you know, of everything when I'm here, and it kind of gives me this renewed sense of gratitude. When I come back, you know, in Haiti, when I'm when I'm there, um, we stay in, in the house and the water is is um, freezing cold. But that's because they have to make it that cold because it's so hot. Mm-hmm. But there's no fans or anything else. And so, like, once you get out the sh- that, that, that cold shower, you're back in the heat. <laughs> and it makes me think about, OK, so when I'm home and I'm running my air conditioner all day, even if I'm not in a crib, like... Why? You know what I mean? And or people who, um, when we when they cook, like it's like we're we're getting like fresh, uh, like fresh animal, like the meat and everything, like day by day, because you're trying to make sure that you're rationing out portions. Because the with with the rolling blackouts, you don't know if you're going to lose anything if you put it in the refrigerator. And I go home and I look in my my refrigerator and how it's overflowing with you know fruits and vegetables and things I can get, and I'm just like. You know, we always just we never think about um, how how fortunate we are, honestly. And um, even in America, there's at least welfare and there are resources that the government puts in place to help people. And in other countries, they don't even have that. So when you're like so if you don't have you just don't have. And it's it's really put meaning back into my life to be able to go and help other people and help um, other people kind of have a better way of living but at the same time they've taught me so much because you you go to other countries and people are so full of life and they have such rich culture and it's just this beauty and it makes you really remember that none of this matters and all of these things that we get mad about oh my my iphone's glitching okay you haven't but you have an iphone like it, it none of this stuff matters and it just kind of goes back to how i was talking about with song number um Three, just kind of stripping yourself, dying to your flesh every day, remembering what matters and what doesn't in this world, and 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 just staying true to that. Song number two. Oh yeah. Um. So the next one is "Bigger Than Me" by Big Sean. First of all, I have the biggest crush on Big Sean. <laughs> I don't care. I just, I mean, I just think his flow is sick, and I just think he's awesome. But um. <laughs> That song in particular is a song that I can just play over and over and over and over again because um, it reaffirms everything I talked about, about purpose living and realizing that the things that that you've gone through, but also realizing that your purpose is so much bigger than you. Um, when I look at it, when I look at my life now, and especially within this past season of my life of like maybe within the past two years, the things that I do now are are not for me anymore. Um, if I'm speaking at an engagement, if I'm doing a, a certain um, collaboration, if I'm doing this, if I'm doing that, it has a larger purpose than just me. It has a larger purpose than just a paycheck. Um, it's 
it's a beautiful feeling to just think that um, that the work that you're doing is so much bigger than just this one physical vessel. And I just continuously try to live in that space of understanding that. Um, it's also about frequency and energy. I think when, when you think about how how important or how vital your calling is, um, certain things that are so beneath you, they don't need to affect you anymore. Um, it, this was That was a lesson that I've had to learn, and I'm still learning, honestly, because I'm a very empathic person. I feel I feel a lot of things empathetically with people, but I realized first of all that a lot of people are not a lot of people are not like that. Um, second, all. secondly, a lot of people will see that and they take it as weakness mm-hmm. and they'll try to tap into it. And also that there is still um, competition, of course, within your industry and. Some people will just try to tear you down just because they just want to tear you down. And I've been in situations of people who have tried to really bring my energy down and bring my name down and bring bring my brand down. But instead of catering into that or giving into that energy, I just continue to elevate at my frequency um, because it, it – it, I, I don't know. I, for me, for me, it's one of those things of like if you know something is not true, why even give it power? You know what I mean? Like if I if I looked at you and I was like, well, "Unique, you're a boy." Would do you get mad or do you just laugh? Because it's like the hell. Like of course I'm not a boy. <laughs> you don't even get mad because you know it's not true. So if you so if someone's saying certain things about you and you know it's not true, why even why even give them the power of of your emotions? Tackling your emotions and handling them, I think, has been one of the biggest things I've been able to grow grow through um but that just comes from the lesson that the things that i'm doing are bigger than me so the things that are lesser than me don't matter yeah that's powerful (laughs) (laughs) that's so powerful (laughs) like it just knocked me off but i was gonna act (laughs) but i remember now so it's like all right so with everything you're doing like what's the one thing you're working to achieve Mm. i think the one thing i am working to achieve Oh, this is so hard. <laughs> Girl, because my mind always goes a, mi- a mile a minute. So I'm always like, hey, the 80 million things I'm trying to achieve. The one thing I think I'm trying to achieve is... Mm, I think I think it's not necessarily a tangible thing, but it's more of like to show people that you can... You can live successfully and, and pursue your dream. I think that nowadays we're taught we're taught a lot about entrepreneurship, and everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, right? Everyone loves this idea of, of entrepreneurship, and I can understand why. This idea that you don't necessarily have a boss in quotation marks, you know, you don't have a, a set schedule, um, is enticing. But at the same time. Um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, people don't see the truth that goes behind entrepreneurship. And you know, me being my own my own boss, I've never worked harder in my life. I don't have a 9 to 5. I have a the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. I don't have um, you know, a Monday through Friday schedule. Really, I work more or less Monday through Saturday. The only reason why I don't work Sundays is because I force myself not to work on Sundays. Um, I, I have certain obligations that I have to do. The money is going to the other people on my team before it's coming to me. Um, 
you know, I am my own photographer. I'm my own copy editor. I'm my own writer. I'm my own social media manager. I am my own <laughs> lawyer. I am my own PR person. You know, and of course, I have other people who also assist me on those things. But for the most part, you have to be able to do it all. And I think that showing people that even through all of those things, even when the money is great, even when the money is not great, even when there's a lot of stress, even when there's no stress, even when things feel plentiful and even when things feel barren, that at the end of the day, because you're living in this one feeling that gives you purpose on this earth, that it is worth it. Um, I think that that is what I'm trying to show other people, that if you put the work in, it comes back to you. And it can come back to you, and it can come back to you in great and meaningful ways. Yeah. <laughs> song number one. Oh, yeah. So song number one is my favorite song. It's my current stage in my life, and it is Back Then by Mike Jones. <laughs> like, I had, to, I had to take it. I had to take it back a little bit with this one. But, um, yeah, man, it's been a fun journey, honestly, to see the same people who uh, look down on you or who discredit you or who don't think that you are worth being in the same space as them, then all of a sudden reaching out and needing your services or needing your help or needing it. Um, It's not even a thing of, of feeling like, oh, like, look at me. But it's like when, when, when people talk about how like, your gifts will make room for you. Like they, it, it, it's so true. It is so true. It is a thing of like, if you continue to just do what you got to do, if you're not messy, if you just put your head down and work, if you have pride in the work that you do, and if you continue to do what is right, um, nobody can stop that shine. But at the same time, you have to also realize that when you start shining, other people start seeing the light. And it's like this funny stage now of like, okay, so, you know, what what what's going on it, it's it's a funny thing cuz it also has to your 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 level of discernment has to shift um discernment for me your third eye your intuition whatever people want to call it, it it all has to tap in because now you have to start readdressing and reanalyzing people's roles in, in your life the people who are feeding into it for positivity purposes and not the people whose seasons are over the people whose seasons are starting um and the people who you know like I said, who did not believe in you, but now they now they do. And it's like, okay, so what do you do with those people? The people who now want to be part of everything, but it's like, okay, but when I was needing the bread, you ain't want to help a sister out, but now you want to eat, you know? So I don't know. It's It's been an interesting thing. Um, I'm just, I guess, thankful to be in a place now where it's like I get to have that because I get to use that platform to also help other people. But it is weird because I'm the same person I always was. You know what I mean? Same person, same awkward girl who, you know, would like, okay, I'm a, I just want to talk to like three people at this networking event and go. And uh, I don't know. You know, you, you don't work the, you don't work as hard as you do to stay the same, Jay-Z. But you, at the same time, you don't change that much. and But other people do. People around you start to change, mm-hmm. which is so weird because, like, you sit down and you're just like, you look back like I haven't really who I am as a person it's the same person I've been constantly but like why all of a sudden is this person's attitude towards me like 
not how it used to be. Yeah, definitely. And it can always go, it goes both ways because I've had people whose attitude has shifted toward the negative. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden they got something sly to say or they don't, or or uh, if I share with them an accomplishment, then they, um, you know, want to com- com- combat it with something negative. And it's just like, like why? You know, on the, on the flip side, I've also had people who, you know, get super, super like, buddied up like okay like oh so you're going to fashion week oh like you know i'll come with you and and like people who who are like oh well let me help you but then they don't want to help like they're not taking no photos they're not helping with interviews they just want to be there and um you know honestly at this point now my my circle is so close uh close and closed that um I don't really have those issues that much anymore with my with my knit group. I have very protective friends as well, which I'm really thankful for. Um, friends who have been there with me since the early days um, when this was all just an idea. Who are protective of me that when we're out, if something if like somebody comes up and like they're trying to like be all up in my face or something, they'll be like, okay, like moving along <laughs> and. and um, I'm always really, really fortunate and thankful for them. The same thing with my parents. Uh, my parents are very are huge supporters of that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know what? It's it's a great feeling to to have it as well. I always think about like, I wonder like how Oprah felt when like people first started like you know they was like oh that's oh that's Oprah. I'm not saying I'm gonna be Oprah. I mean hey you, you never, never know. know you never know you never know. Put it out there. 2018. Um, but you know I. It, that's just that's just what happens when you start moving into different levels. People see it, um, and I also do think that when people live in darkness, when they see your light, they they just want they just want a piece of the light. Um, so you just have to move accordingly from there. Yeah, because it's like always been like so scary to me, just like that idea, like how a person's whole perspective towards you can just instantly change you never understand why exactly yeah you know and yeah it is a scary thing um but it's also a thing of like being very intentional about the people in your life and uh, I know I used to be a girl who wanted a million friends I wanted to be that girl I wanted to be that girl who everybody knew and everybody you know thought was cool and everybody was friends with and stuff and now I'm so thankful to be the girl who has her close set of friends who she knows she can depend on her close group of people, um, you know, out in the social space who I know stand behind the dream and who I know they have something to lose as well. So they're they're not going to be in a position or a place where they would want, want to tear someone else down. They, they align with me in my morals of, of black womanhood and supporting each other. Um, and when new people come into my life, because I do believe that as you continue to grow, you do... Um, manifest new people and new lessons to learn at the same time when those manifestations happen that's when discernment has to kick in and really understanding what people's intentions for you are and understanding okay so what is their role in my life and being open to that change I have lost a lot of important people in my life and 2017 I lost some of the most like um the most closest people to me who I never thought I would have to lose. And it wasn't even necessarily a thing of like arguments or a thing of jealousy. It's just people's seasons are up and you have to be open to understanding that when that happens, you have to let them go. 
you have to let them go. And um, I know it's one of those things, once again, easier said than done. Scary! Scary. like, that's the person that's been with you forever. No matter what, you always go to that person. Yeah, it is scary. Let that person go is scary. It is scary. It is painful. Because it's like, well, who's going to fill that void? Yeah, but I don't think anymore about about those things. I don't think about who would fill this void or who would this because I'm complete without it. I'm complete in my entirety by myself. And then those people are wonderful accessories to the experience of of who I am. But when people's seasons are up, um, there is a lesson to be learned in that. And so if I look at it as a lesson of what did this person deposit into me and not necessarily what are they taking from me when they leave my life, I walk away with something in addition and not out of lack, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, Yeah. And sometimes you have people who come in your life, like different rotations, uh, who all feel the same role, the best friend, the significant other, the business partner, whomever. Um, and and that's just and that's just part of and that's just part of life. I think I think when I look think about life, I think about seasons, like the actual seasons and how fall, winter, spring, summer come and for me, I really love fall. Like, fall is my favorite time of year. But then when winter comes, it's like, oh, man, like, fall's gone. But I do know fall will come again. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things that I think with life, life is a very um, cylindrical kind of experience. Things just always come back, and if they're meant to come back, they will. So what do you want your legacy to be? Mm. Girl, you're asking a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my legacy, I would want... I would want someone, if they were thinking of Jamee, to to see a girl who, you know, life counted her out, but she counted herself in. And because she worked hard for those things and she had faith that she could achieve them, I can also live that same truth. Um, I think that that is something that if, God forbid, I were to die tomorrow, if someone said it in my eulogy, I would know that I've lived a life worth living. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dang, girl, ending on my sad note of eulogy. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think that would I think that would be, that'd be it. That's dope. All right, so before we go, you have to give us your Dear Black Girl open letter. Oh, yes. Okay, so Dear Black Girl, you are misunderstood. You are questioned. You are studied. You are an anomaly. You're an enigma. You are mysterious. But you are everything you need to be. You have everything that you will ever need to have. And you are complete with or without the permission of others. You shine brightly. And you will never go without signed Jamee Jackson otherwise known as the Blah Misfit 